and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I am the other host, Jane. And boy, today we've got a real treat. Today we've got arguably the best episode of season one. Certainly one of the best episodes of the whole show, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. And I think the episode that convinced a lot of people that this wasn't just a good show, that it was a great show. We've got Season 1, Episode 8, Princess Prom. Yes, Princess Prom. It is genuinely one of the best episodes. It's probably the episode, I would say it's the episode that got a lot of people in the show. It got me into the show. Like, uh, I was I was very, very excited for this one. We actually uh, talked a little bit about doing like a special uh, musical intro for this one and I was like oh, I mean it's gotta be it's gotta be prom night right yeah big shout out to Anna Monaguchi's prom night what a bop absolutely a bop that that whole album is a bop but uh princess prom what an episode it's got quite a few quite a few lovely ups and downs to it um I guess first let's talk about the whole process of the invitation because that that is something that is pretty interesting. All right. So the setup for this episode is that every... Do they say it in this episode? Is it every five years, I believe? Yeah, they go over that pretty early, I think. The all-princess ball happens, and, and every five years, one of the kingdoms gets to host an all-princess ball. Um, and this year, the, the hostess is the Princess Frosta of the Kingdom of Snows who is a, is a sort of uh, neutral power, but one that Glimmer is definitely wanting to sway to the side of the rebellion. And this whole invitation thing, um, every princess gets one, and as we see later in the episode, that does include Scorpia. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a ancient tradition, and that means everybody, uh, everybody participates because this is a pre-horde situation and honestly even if it wasn't i don't think frosta would care she doesn't seem to really have a whole lot of uh of worry in her heart about the horde because uh the kingdom of snows seems pretty big pretty powerful and pretty far out of the way it's not really a target that hordak has in mind it seems not really a target i mean frankly i don't know why he would want any course to like you know go real hard in a, into a, in a into a frozen wasteland it seems like a lot of effort to go through for what return. You get some ice. Yeah, you get you get access to um, the Kingdom of Frost's primary export, ice. Uh, ice cubes, snow peas, um, slurpees, I imagine. Uh, I bet they make a good slurpee. Bet they make a good slurpee. Right, but um, prom, or I guess it's technically it's the all-princess uh, ball. <laughs> that's, a, that's quite a Freudian slip there. But, no, the, it's, of course, Princess Prom. Bo, Bo and Glimmer immediately call it Princess Prom. And that's what we'll be referring to it as, because it's uh, less syllables to say. And it's more fun. It's a lot more fun. So I think one thing we should talk about here, uh, or, or to start sort of digging into this episode beyond its, uh, its setup, there's, there's sort of two central relationships that, this, that the axis of this episode spins on. Um, one of them is, of course, Catra and Adora, and the other one is Bo and Glimmer. Yes. And, um, 
Both of those get quite a lot of attention here, and uh, for good reason. They, I feel like this is the episode that really introduces a lot of the um, mechanics behind both of those relationships. I feel like this is where it kind of introduces, like, Glimmer's insecurities and Bo's emotional intelligence and um, Catra's, I guess, like, cloying and teasing and Adora's, like, honestly kind of, like, obsessiveness um, and, like, and, and concern over, over Catra. It introduces a lot of these concepts that, like, will carry forward. Yeah, we'll get to Catra here in a bit, but I think we should start with Glimmer, because this is a, a new sort of facet to their relationship that's introduced in this episode, as you said. Uh, Glimmer has had a pretty sheltered life, and that means she doesn't really have any friends other than Bo. And so... When Bo is out there mingling with the, the people, and you know, he's Bo is the epitome of a people person. He just loves to hang out with people and like get to know them and, and be in good company. But, but Glimmer is a little bit more of a, of a prickly personality, a bit more strong headed. And so, when she sees Bo, uh, Bo goes to the ball with Perfuma uh, instead of her, as, as she just sort of assumed would happen she gets very jealous and very sort of protective and territorial of their friendship. Yeah, she like, and you know, it's, it's understandable, right? Like, it's it's one of those things where she hasn't had a lot that um, I would argue necessarily gets to, you know, be something she has control over or that is hers. Like, most of her life so far has been, you know, like like very, very sheltered, very, like, controlled by, like, her mom and, like, by... Um, the duties that have kind of been set ahead of her as the the heir to bright moon and all that sort of stuff so the having like this little facet of her life that she had control over and that she like was kind of an active participant in like her and her her and Bo's friendship were like I think for her very important for her to feel like that was their special thing and now that other people have been introduced she's getting insecure she's feeling like you know maybe you know it isn't their special thing maybe it's like everything else like you know everyone else is going to kind of get in in the middle of it and start injecting themselves uh, into her life in uh, in this avenue as well and she does not take that really well no she's she takes it all very hard very personally and Bo, for his part doesn't really see a problem with it because like oh he just wanted to hang out with glimmer and adora and perfuma and have a fun time at this ball but he wasn't really this is one of the few times i think that Bo sort of doesn't think about what other people would do i guess he just didn't think it would be that big of a deal or that it would have this much of an effect on glimmer but he's he definitely sort of made a little bit of a faux pas here at some point but glimmer i mean she she spends the entire episode making these like weird jabs at at perfuma and like trying to steer Bo towards their own inside jokes and like make him jealous was like oh i'm gonna go hang out with adora all night yeah and it was and it's like yeah she's she's trying very hard to uh to make him feel jealous but unfortunately the problem is that Bo just literally has no idea what's going on like for him he's just like why why is why is Limmer acting so weird? I thought we were just going to hang out and have like a fun time. Yeah, he just the poor, he just didn't he just didn't really see it coming. He really didn't. Poor boy. He um 
I I've said before and I'll say again that Bo is like the the character that I think is the most emotionally intelligent out of basically the entire main cast. Like he is really really good at being able to get to the heart of uh, you know people's like interpersonal problems and like their their emotions and stuff like that. Um, and you know it, he's not perfect at it. Like he can't he can't sense everybody else's emotions. But when things come to a head, he's like he's very much somebody who knows what needs to be said, even if it's not necessarily the thing that that person wants to hear, um, which is something that actually uh, we run into later on in the episode, like when they actually do have that moment where um, they kind of confront each other about it. Um, and they both like are getting ready to be like, oh, I accept your apology. And and he, he hears Glimmer say that and he gets like genuinely kind of mad about it. He's like, yeah, why, you know, why do I need to apologize? I'm not the one who's done anything wrong like you know i'm just hanging out with my friends it's not my responsibility to like exclusively be your friend because you have like an emotional situation about it like that's something that you need to to work through and and kind of and kind of deal with you know and i think that's like like that was a really good moment just from the perspective of both like a thing to teach people through the medium of television but also like it's just a really good character growth moment i think that it's something that glimmer super needed to hear somebody say for sure for sure um and then to back up away from the ball for a moment we should we should hit some of the the preparation here um as all of these characters get ready to go to the ball oh yeah of course we got to get a montage of everyone getting ready um and for adora that's more like a training montage yeah she like is really funny so she gets she gets the invitation she's actually very anxious about it when she first gets it um like um but then she just goes and launches into her her classic like i'm really anxious and paranoid so i'm going to launch into full military tactician mode she creates a war room she starts drawing up battle plans like referring to everyone as like targets and she's just like just full full horde tactician mode and um glimmer is just really not paying attention to anybody she's just like listen we got to get you an outfit so we get a classic classic outfit uh makeover montage with uh a lot of the cast and it's it's really really fun right this isn't i don't think this is the first time and it won't be the last time that adora's first instinct when faced with something unfamiliar is just to treat it like a battle plan because obviously that's what she's been taught by the horde is to just take everything at at, at, a tactical uh level yeah yeah, for her, it's, like, that's, like, her whole upbringing, essentially. Like, everything is tactical, everything is military, you know? So she's gonna just kind of revert to that every now and again. It, it, it causes some pretty funny situations. Like, uh, it's it's very funny. Like, the whole time they're trying to do this, this, uh, this makeover, like, Glimmer's, like, pulling out dresses. Meanwhile, she's, like, already out of the last dress that she was put in. She's, uh, she's running around like using the hair ties or like the hair spikes to just like jab more points into her like 75 like string picture like conspiracy board it's really good 
Yeah, she's like a conspiracy board. She's got the she's got the military like table where you push all of the all of the all of the stuff around. Um, another thing in this scene is that there's in this episode in general is just it's just full chock full of Easter eggs and background gags. Yeah. Relating to the old She-Ra show, uh, you know, there's there's name drops of of Pika Blue and Sweet Bee and the Star Sisters, all of whom were like OG She-Ra characters who just didn't who, who didn't make it into the to the show, uh, at least not in season one. And uh, eventually, what Adora settles on is uh, I love all of the formal outfits that are introduced in this episode, and and for the most part, these are the uh, these are the outfits that. When uh, they, these characters are going to a formal type of setting, they will default to these outfits. So Adora gets this sort of almost Greek Spartan style red dress that is very much elegant, yet also sort of utilitarian. Like there's no frills or anything. It's just a simple red dress. It's a simple red dress. It's sleeveless because you got to show off the guns. It's like a requirement when we're talking about Adora here. And of course, in the middle of that, in, in the middle of all this montaging, uh, we get we get Bo sort of uh, customizing his tuxedo. Yeah, he's like he's got this he's got this really like nice like uh, gold labeled like tuxedo and everything. And he's like, hmm, hmm, what is missing? And he's like, ah, yes, I know. And he just rips the cummerbund off because listen, much like how Adora has to show off the guns. Bo's got to show off the tummy. It's like, it's a requirement. Required to wear a crop top. And I think we should also start touching on Catra and Scorpia, who are in this episode, in a in, in just a fantastic turn of events. Yes. Catra wears... I mean, where do you even start with this outfit, honestly? Catra has, like, a suit. She's wearing, like, a tux that's unbuttoned. Her Her bow tie is hanging off of her neck. She's torn holes around the knees in in the slacks <laughs> it's the most extra thing i've ever seen like we had to pause the episode while we were watching it because i noticed that and i was just like oh my god did you really tear knee holes into your dress slacks it's amazing she's got like biker fingerless gloves she's rolled up the sleeves on her tuxedo it's like it's the butchest look you will ever see in your entire life it is incredible it is it is something else it is, it is it's it's so much uh scorpia goes through a few iterations one of one of which is her is a reference to classic scorpia yeah it's really it's really good but she eventually settles on this very sleek black dress that has like it's, it's caught on her shoulder spikes so there's holes in the shoulder because um, it's an off-the-shoulder dress, of course, but one of these, well, her shoulders are covered in, you know, armored spikes. Yeah, and it's also like a, it's like a leg slit dress, too. It, like, it's really elegant, actually, and I love the, um, the, like, gem earrings she's got going on, too. Glimmer goes with this kind of puffy sort of look. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, yeah, like a, like a puffy skirt, like, um, like a really ruffled skirt, you know, the kind that kind of, like, flows out like really wide and then like up top it's kind of like spaghetti straps a little bit it's it's really interesting looking actually it shows off her little back wings that we don't see very often because she's always wearing capes and such 
Yeah, the outfits are all just so choice. And the thing about Adora's outfit, actually, that um, I, I've thought about actually a lot since um, since rewatching it today is, like, it's got a really, like, not just a Greek thing, but, like, an Amazonian thing going on. Yeah, for sure. You could definitely see, like, a background extra in a, in a, in a Wonder Woman movie wearing something like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm I'm actually really into it. Like, I think it looks great, um, and it's also just, like, it, it fits, you know, it just, it fits her character really well. Like, yeah, she is, she is kind of the Amazonian character of the show. Like, give her, give her a cool green dress. Yeah, I think we could, we could go on and on about the formal looks for all the other characters, but ultimately they aren't that important, um... You know, Seahawk and Remista show up briefly, but they don't really do anything. They just have everyone just looks really nice. We'll say that they do look really nice. I they do look really really nice. I love also just um, Seahawk and Remista. They're they're so good. I'm so glad that they um that so like early in the show they're just like still so on again off again. Like we talked about this a little bit in the Remista episode, but yeah, they're just like just the 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 cohesion the uh the the dynamic there is exquisite yeah it's sort of a there's there's something going on there but neither well okay one of them isn't willing to admit it let's say that yes (laughs) let's talk a little bit about hmm, should we start with catra should we start on catra because that's gonna be a good chunk of this episode i think this is a catra episode for sure Oh yeah, big time. I guess. Um, well, it's a pretty short one actually. So let's start with um, let's talk about the cameos for a second, and then we'll go to Entrapta, and then we can get to the real meat of the story. Oh yeah. So, um, as I said, there's a ton of background cameos in, in this episode. I don't know who any of them are. I'm sure a lot of the writers and storyboarders and and crew are in the background here. I'm almost certain of it. But I wouldn't know what they look like. Um, another another very common background staple of this episode is is Spinnerella and Natasha. They're like in every shot, basically. They don't have any lines, but they're just they're just hanging out there together. Um, yeah, they're hanging out. They're you know pretty much every shot they're in, they're like holding each other. It's really sweet. Like I, you have to you have to love the Cloud Wives. It's like you know they're they're great. I got a I got a question though, since they're both princesses, right? So do they both get a plus one, or are they each other's plus one? I assume that like they both could have brought plus ones, but probably didn't. They probably just like both used their own invitations to go. Cause like I mean, who else are they gonna bring? That's true. Um, yeah, and also here it's it's all princess. So that means Entrapta is also here. Um, she's not really treating this like a ball at all. Uh, she says it's a social experiment to just sort of watch everyone else. Yeah, she's got kind of a Cole Sprouse thing going on a little bit here. She did not attempt to dress up at all. She's just wearing her normal workshop outfit, stains and everything. Oh yeah, like didn't even try and get rid of the stains. Who cares? She just, she walks around almost the entire, I think actually the entire time with her like bug-eyed um like welding goggles on which is really really funny she's just like hanging out just watching everyone taking notes and she's just having a fun time also she's just stealing so many snacks like 
just oh yeah she's here for snacks um snacks first science second i feel like well i think they can go both hand in hand you can have the snacks and have the science at the same time um but entrapta is mostly just here for for some comedy she's she's just a, a vehicle for some for some jokes in this episode um and so i think that brings us to the the star of the show here i'm not sure if there's much else to talk about without trying to tackle catra yeah it's it is it is time for catra now so um early on the episode and we've been kind of jumping around a little bit i think just because of the nature of the episode and how like kind of these topics flow into each other but like um to to kind of go back to where she gets introduced there's um scorpia ends up in her bedroom which is like uh apparently when you become force captain you get your own room which is uh seems like a pretty good perk all things considered in the horde and she's like hey we should be running this place you know katra is starting to get the picture that hey the horde is not run very well and uh she could probably do a better job and um Scorpia happens to have an invitation and brings up the possibility of going and uh, maybe screwing around with the princesses just a little bit. Right. Uh, Catra did not know that Scorpia was a princess, despite that being very common knowledge, because uh, she, as we as we have heard before, did not go to Force Captain Orientation. Probably should have went to that. Seems like there was some really good information in that orientation. They tell you about the Seagate, they tell you about Scorpia being a princess, I'm sure they tell you about a bunch of other stuff in that orientation that she just doesn't know. Yeah, they probably tell you about, like, the Force Captain, like, free continental breakfast or something. She's been missing out. I mean, how good could a horde continental breakfast be anyway? Well, that's true. I guess it would just be, like, various bars of different colors. They have they have the green ones. It's special force captains only uh, for the green ones. Very true, but yeah, there's the the bit where Scorpia kind of reveals that, and, and and Catra the gears start turning in her head, and she's trying to convince Scorpia to go. She starts, she starts like I mean the the charitable way to put it is she starts projecting, um, just a little bit, you know. I would say a lot of bit projecting, honestly. She's, uh, she's sort of, uh, she's talking to Scorpia, theoretically, but I think mostly she's just talking to herself at this point. Yeah, yeah. When she starts going into about how, uh, you know, the princesses stole, uh, her friends and turned them into giant warrior princesses, I feel like at that point, um, she stopped talking to Scorpia. Scorpia might as well not be in the room. <laughs> She does this a lot. She once she gets on a roll, she can really start projecting pretty hardcore. Yeah, she's got a she's got a bit of a tangent streak in her. But she is having a ball at this ball. Let me tell you. Oh my god, she's having such a good time working with Adora. She just she is just having a blast of it. So. We have had a little bit of a break in regards to Catra um, for the past few episodes. She was not in uh, the Entrapta episode at all, and she was only very briefly in the Shadows of Mysticor. The last time we saw her in action was in the Seagate, and that 
was mostly sort of a reactive role. She was going after Adora and trying to stop her from repairing the Seagate. It wasn't really... The passion wasn't there. She was still in the stage where she thought, oh, Adora just needs to be brought back into the fold. Now, what we see here is Catra at her peak. Uh, it turns out what Catra excels at is trickery and tactics. She is a mad trickster. She really is. She is like... She really comes into her own in this episode. Like, she actually has, like, a really good plan, and she executes it really well. Like, she knows her enemy. She knows exactly what she needs to do to take advantage of her enemy. She is not vainglorious. Like, she doesn't need to be the person who deals the finishing blow. She just needs to get the job done. And I think that's, you know like, a really big difference between her and a lot of the rest of, like, the Horde leadership, right? Like, Hordak kind of wants to be, like, the guy who gets all the credit, you know, Shadow Weaver, you know, kind of also the same thing. She wants to get all the credit. She wants to be the one who kind of does this, you know, epic takedown or whatever, but, like, Catra doesn't need that, you know? She has her own goals, but she doesn't need to be, like, the center of attention for them. She's totally willing to be the bait if it gets her what she wants. Right. She's perfectly willing to use the the rules of this ball as neutral ground to her advantage, uh, which she does with Gusto. And this episode, I think, is probably what launched quite a few ships uh among the viewership i would say oh for sure i mean this is what sold me on catrador right like you know obviously like the first couple episodes um there's a lot of content but like but this especially the montage and uh, of um adora following her around the little hey adora note in the trash can flawless uh by the way and then you know, naturally, the the dance scene um, and the dip that shook the world. There is a degree of teasing and flirtation and everything Catra does that is here for uh, here for unseen. She is going. She is turned up to eleven this entire episode, and it is phenomenal. Oh yeah, she knows. She knows exactly what she's doing, exactly what effect she's having on Adora, and it is. She is. She is having just as much fun as every single one of us watching the show. And, you know, I think there there might be only one moment in this episode where that kind of control is uh, that sort of effortless control is not present and that is towards the end when uh she's about to fall over the edge because she oversteps and adora grabs her and and the frame i mean you can just talk about this for 50 hours i feel like this frame where it's just adora and katra inches away teetering over the edge of a cliff yeah the drama of it all the tension of it all dare i say the romance of it all oh definitely the romance of it all like Oh, what a, like, that two-second bit, like, mm, it's, it's, it's very good. The, the facial expressions by themselves you could write a book about, just like. This show has so many facial expressions that last for, like, one second that you have to just, like, be on the lookout for that are so, so good. 
I, I'm constantly astounded by that. I think maybe that is what sort of this show excels at more than any other, other kind of thing, uh, any other aspect of animation, because like we've, we've, we've razzed on the run cycles a little bit on this show. I think this, the, this show doesn't have very good run cycles. I'm going to, I'm just going to be out here to say that. Yeah. 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 Listen, they're, they're fun. They're fun, but yeah, they're fun. And they don't, and and they know that they aren't necessarily good looking. So they don't usually have big group running shots. Um, And the rest of the animation is, is all very, it's all, it's all, I would not say it is. There are any moments of super outstanding animation in terms of action or anything like that. But where the show um, really stands out is the facial animation and, and the character animation for sure. Every motion and every expression is so filled with like character and emotion and it, and it really comes right out of the screen. It's, it's, pre- it's pretty phenomenal. It, honestly, it is. Yeah, the, the, the character acting is it's some of the best I think I've ever seen. Um, just the way there's there's a lot of subtlety in it is the thing like they put a lot of effort into just these very very subtle changes in in the eyebrows in the the corners of lips in the 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 way the nose is sitting you know just these really really tiny minute touches in basically every scene and it's like, you know, I can't say I've seen um, that attention to detail in like any of what I would consider to be Shiraz contemporaries, you know, like your Stevens universes and et cetera like that. Like, I can't say that I've seen like that attention to detail in them. And it's, it's really good to see. And you really get so much, so much of the drama and the, and enjoyment out of the show, just out of these very heavily considered character performances and it all works so flawlessly with the voice acting as well i don't know the process i know that scripts are usually revised after the board i believe so they write the script Mm -hmm. and then they storyboard it and then they update the script if anything has changed in the boarding process and then it goes to record Um, and even then things might be changed there as well yeah, they, they usually allow a little bit of wiggle room for, like, voice um, voice actors to, like, add their own stuff or, or maybe change something on the fly and, like, you know, give a different read or, uh, or a different, different line if it fits better. Speaking of which, I was thinking about, I wonder if this, this line that Scorpia has about when, when she's just going ham at the snack table where she calls for Garcon, I wonder if that was ad-libbed or not because it just feels so natural it feels it feels very ad-libbed i actually i love that bit so much she's just like she's just going at it she's like having a really good time with all of this fancy finger food just like adora was in the uh, in the in the, the second episode at that party she's just amazed at the at the world of flavors she's experiencing yeah, it's again. Listen, if the horde really wanted to maintain better, uh, better morale, they got to get on the actual food train. But Catra's plan here is honestly, basically flawless. I mean, she really gets Adora's goat here. This she she only captures Bo, but also Glimmer, Princess of Bright Moon, which is quite a big get 
for the horde i would say and they get the sword of power too so like i mean they they're kind of three for three and of course like you know adora's left hanging off the side of a mountain effectively you know quite literally a cliffhanger um yeah it's her plan goes off without a hitch and like the attention to detail in her plan also is really good like it's not even just like oh yeah you know me and scorpia go in and we infiltrate this and scorpia plants a bunch of bombs it's also like they infiltrated like the castle guards and like had them replaced so that when they drew out Bo and or glimmer i you know either one they were actually going for to uh to kind of lure out you know they would be able to to get them captured without any interference whatsoever and it's like it's it's really good like it is a really really good plan and it goes off basically flawlessly it's uh i mean if you, uh, i think the goal for this plan was actually to capture bow um i believe because at the end of the end of the shadows of mysticor um catcher is saying you gotta go for the heart uh, while looking at bow there so honestly glimmer's a bonus oh yeah, that's a good point. I actually forgot about that line. You're right. Yeah, that's that's her plan is to is to take Bo. And honestly, not a bad plan. You know, he he is kind of the the I would yeah he is kind of the glue that holds the team together. You kind of you kind of need uh, need Bo around to make everything function. She knew exactly what to do. Um, you know, Shadow Weavers shook. This this tactical thinking is beyond anything the Horde has ever seen, which. Uh, it makes you wonder how they lasted this long, but you know. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Listen, to be fair, the rebellion hadn't been doing too much either. I, I feel like both sides were kind of just like status quoing for a while. You know, they were just like, uh, we'll just we'll just not attack that much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're they've just been in a in a stalemate for a, a while, it seems. Yeah, but with Catra on the scene, it seems like uh, that stalemate's gonna break in a second. I mean, it's already broken. She's captured a princess. She's captured the Sword of Power. It's, uh, the, the ball is in the Rebellion's court, as it were. Yeah, and not just any princess, too. Bear in mind, the uh, daughter of, uh, of uh, Queen Angela, who is the leader of the rebellion the leader of bright moon the most powerful kingdom in all of etheria uh you know seems like you've got some pretty good bargaining power there now that's what i call leverage mm. i think with that we have exhausted the the, the non-spoilerific top oh never mind i just remembered something oh what we got to talk about scorpia's ride oh my god yeah the scorpion mobile oh my god What's up with this? It's so... I wish it came back. Like, it is the funniest thing in the entire world to me that Scorpia just has a personal little, like, flying jet that is shaped like a scorpion. It's got a scorpion tail. It's got six legs. It's even got, like, like a little cartoony, like, lipstick mouth on the front. Like, it is the closest thing that I could imagine to like an 80s she-ra like device like it is the closest i think the show gets to like 80s she-ra um in terms of like the design of horde stuff it's amazing oh absolutely i could definitely see a playset of this thing in fact i wonder if this literally is a ship from 80s she-ra because i mean this this episode is already full to the brim with easter eggs and references 
So it wouldn't surprise me if they just put this ship in um, for a laugh. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. That'd be actually really funny if that was the case. The, I do wish they'd bring it back, though. It's, I hope I hope it comes back. Let Scorpia use her cool ship. Also, give Catra a cat jet. Oh my god, yeah. Give her a cat jet. That's... Listen, that's that's gonna be... I'm sure that'll come up in season season four, right? <laughs> oh, surely. She'll have a cat jet in season four. Um... But with that, I think we've exhausted the non-spoilerific topics for Princess Prom. I mean, we could just talk endlessly about everyone's outfits, but honestly, that seems like kind of dull podcasting, even though we would have fun. But I don't know how good it would be to listen to. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. Listen, hey, listen, you know what? Maybe maybe later we'll like we'll just like make a post on the Tumblr or something about it and just like go off about outfits for a while. But like, yeah. Um, there, there are more, there are more juicy things to talk about in the actual show, which we will get to after the break. Of course. Uh, speaking of the Tumblr, of course, as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Tumblr, uh, uh, on Twitter at Podcast of Power, on Tumblr at Pod of Power. Um, we have a Gmail, we have a Curious Cat. No questions this week, which is surprising, but I think this episode sort of speaks for itself in a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways, it has reverberations throughout this entire show. So we'll see you on the other side to discuss those. See you on the other side. Alright. So... This, if you were to if you were to select a single episode as the sort of start of of Catradora, I think it's this one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, like this is the this is the the foundation of uh, of that house of uh, house of cards. Right, and I think it starts being built on uh, a couple episodes later with promises, but for now. We have the this juicy drama going on here, and I think it's it's obvious here. Um, the, the the you know if we if we were to put the the arc of, of their relationship in fan fiction terms, it would be friends to enemies to friends to lovers. Oh, for sure, for sure. And what this episode is here is we're right right smack dab in the enemies territory, and it is fantastic. Yeah, it's it is it's delicious it's it's amazing like uh noel stevenson made i think it was a tweet at some point um where she was just like hey listen you know there are people out there who do not think that you know women villains uh should be like uh you know friends to enemies or like really mean and she's like they you know they don't they don't get it they don't have you know what's what's the point you know you gotta you gotta have you gotta have that juicy conflict in there and i think uh i think uh they got that pretty spot on yeah this show gets it i mean the the dip alone uh the dip the dip that entire section of animation is i mean just just put it on loop 
in the Louvre, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we could just make a second podcast, call it The Dip, and just, like, talk about the, like, seven or eight dips that happen in the show. Like, we could just do, like, 30 episodes of that by itself, because the the subtext, the, the text text, you know, the, the visuals, it's just, it's, there's layers to it. You know, I think this is the perfect time to talk about all those dips here. Yes. Because um, this is the first one, obviously. And the context for this one is uh, the first one. There's actually two, I would say, here in this episode. Uh, the context for the first one is, of course, uh, Katra is flexing. She's, she's, you know, showing off her power. She's like, there's nothing you can do about it, Adora. I win. Yeah, she's really getting in her head a little bit. Oh, for sure. Uh, and the second dip in this episode, I think, uh, is towards the end there, where Adora stops Catcher from falling off of the cliff. And that one involved. There's no. There's no dialogue involved in that one. It's just a look. It is just a vibe. And that one is more. I mean, literally, it's Adora stopping Catcher's self-destruction, uh, which is a theme that I'm sure won't be explored at all later. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Like, she was going off that cliff and her door grabs her and, and drags her back. Yeah, I think, like, there's an interesting parallel there because you have, like, the the first dip, which is done. And, and of course, with just the visual language of it, the, cinem- the cinnamon topography of it, you know, it's a shot-reverse shot. You know, you have um, this, you know, Catra dips Adora, you know, facing uh, scene right and... You know the the shadow comes over both of them and it's and it's menacing like it's it's you know it's got a lot of emotions in it and that scene is Katra is in control that is her at her peak control she is 100% in charge of the situation Adora is functionally powerless um, but uh, the reverse of that the second dip is Adora is the one who you know Katra lost a little bit of control in that scene. She had a misstep. She almost destroyed herself. And Adora is the one who kind of comes back in and exerts some of her power and is kind of... There's there's kind of a tension there where Katra, as much as she's playing the, the aloofness and the enemies uh, bit of the whole thing, you know, it kind of really is a very physical... Um, immediate reminder to her and the audience that you know she still needs Adora very much that she is still a force in her life that is affecting her that is that is not controlling her in the same way that that Catra was attempting to control Adora um, in the previous step but like in a way that steadying her steadying her yeah like very much like a very strong influence and it's it's a great it is a great parallel oh yeah for sure i'm and i mean all right so i i'm probably forgetting a couple at least in the mix here but we got to skip all the way to season five here for the next few dips because there's a lot of them in season five. Oh yeah specifically the first one i'm thinking of one that directly parallels that second dip in this episode uh is in save the cat where the the chipped Catra tries to take a little a little back step off of off of the the big platform there and uh, Dora grabs her 
and and that time instead of um, yanking her by her collar as she does in this episode in a more forceful uh, gesture, she pulls her into an embrace uh, after that one. It's really good, and it's fantastic. I mean, when the Save the Cat episode is going to be quite a long, so I won't elaborate too much on that one. But there is yet again there there's dips all over that episode. Honestly, there's so many. Like a third of that episode is just. Adora cradling Catra in her arms. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really good. Thanks, Noelle. It's really, really, really good. Um, there's another uh, parallel that actually happens um, in this episode, and that's with the second dip as well. Um, I think I've like mentioned this in one of the previous episodes, but um, you notice that every scene in which they, you know, Catra and Adora are like making a definitive choice to do the wrong thing. Like, Catra specifically here, you know, like, whenever the choice is made um, for them to be enemies, for them to to try and get over each other in that way, it always takes place on some kind of cliff, like, every time. That happens, happens here, it happens in uh, Promises, I'm pretty sure, it happens in... Um, that bit in season five when Catra, like, um, the hollow memory of Catra is, is there. Um, I think that was heart part one. It's just, it's all over the show. Don't forget the portal. Oh yeah, portal episode. It happens in the portal episode. It's like, it's a really strong recurring theme and, um, it's pretty good. And of course, the end to that motif is uh, Catra pulling Adora back over from a precipice at the very end of Heart Part Two. Not a physical one, but you know. Yeah, like that that scene where Catra Catra pulls pulls her up, and uh, and brings her back like that. That's like the the culmination of it. And listen, we could get we could get into the kiss scene. We won't. We can't. That's 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 like a 75 minute episode by itself. We can't we can't afford to do that. <laughs> we can't. We can't talk about it. We I'm I'm not talking about the heart part 2 in any of this. We got we got we got to section it off. We can't we can't get into it at all cuz we'll just be here all day. We got to we, <laughs> we'll be here we'll be here for 7 years and we're talking about that scene. But um there is Another, uh, the, well, there is something that precedes that as well. Another motif that I wanted to hit on while we're talking about the dip here. Uh, hands. Ah, uh, hands. So... So you know the show is made by gay people. It's all of the hands. So we got hands. The show's about hands. Um, in this episode, I think we get the first instance of Catra purposefully letting go uh, while Adora is holding on to her. Um, which again happens in the portal episode. It is like I mean, she 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 falls. She sort of. I mean, what do you think? Is it, she's denying Adora a win? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think that's almost always what it is. It's like you know, and she she says um, as much in the portal episode. She's literally like, literally, I would rather the entire world end than let you win. Like that is the core of it. Um, for her at this point in her in her life is like she she's willing to make any sacrifice um, as long as Adora loses because you know like in her mind Adora took everything away from her and you know she needs to she needs to pay 
um, for what she's done. And, um, you know, not, I, I feel like, you know, obviously that the level of that isn't fully known to anybody, much less Katra herself at this point. Um, but it's a coming. The, the moment where she starts, uh, she starts dealing with those emotions is, uh, well on its way. It's called season four of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, I believe is what that moment is called. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's all season four. It's just, uh... But I bring that up because there's, there's one more, of course, the heart part two. Um, there is that part where, uh, Adora is telling her to, uh, go. She's gotta, she's gotta do the fail-safe thing and it'll, it'll destroy her, it'll kill her. And she has that, that brief moment where she just sort of cradles Catra's face and she lets her hands fall. And then when Catra decides that she's going to stay, she actually catches and grabs Adora's hand. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, I'm just thinking emoji. Just thinking, just, just thinking about it, rotating it in your head a little bit. I actually forgot about that bit. Like that, that's, it's such a strong bit too. Hands, uh, turns out they're an important leitmotif in, in this, uh, in this relationship here. But it's not the only relationship that gets focused here. It's the most important one, obviously. It's the relationship of the show. Yeah, it's it's the heart of the show, I feel like, really. And uh, wouldn't want it any other way. No, no, absolutely not. Um, but there's, it's not the only one that we sort of get to see here. Uh, obviously, Glimmer and Bo, uh, a lot of their the building on their relationship is done here as well. Because, I mean, obviously you can read uh, Glimmer's jealousy as, you know, intensely platonic. But I think there's a level at which, obviously we know where it's going. And there's a level at which we look at that and go, this, there's something else going on here, Glimmer. I don't know about this. Yeah, there's like the the amount to which Glimmer is like upset about this is more than just like oh, you know, I feel like my friend isn't going to want to hang out with me anymore. There's also just, like, there's so much pining. Like, my, like, goodness, there's, there's, again, the facial expressions come through really strongly here because they do not spend, I think, very much time uh, at all in this episode really laying that out on the table in any way. Like, um, Adora does have one line where she's like, why do you care about this so much? And um, Glimmer kind of has to answer that in a way that's very clearly not 100% truthful. But like, other than that bit, there's really not a lot um, in the direct acting that um, that really indicates um, what's really going on under the surface here. Um, it's It all comes through in the character performance of the, uh, of the animation. Like, the way that Glimmer is acting and um, her body language really, uh, really betrays her actual emotions here. Um, emotions that she herself is almost certainly not actually aware of at this point. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, we've already said that she's she's not exactly one of the more uh, emotionally intelligent characters on the show. I think. No, not quite. <laughs> Honestly, none of none of them are. Like I was about to say, compared to Adora, but no, Adora has the emotional intelligence of a particularly stupid rock. Yeah, yeah. And Catra just isn't looking. She doesn't want to look at it. If she looked, if if you look too hard at that, 
bad things will happen. So let's just pretend everything is fine. Yeah, yeah. Katra, Katra is just like, I do not see it. <laughs> she does not see it. She does not want to look inward. That we're not doing that. We're just gonna go forward. Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep moving. Don't worry about it. Um, Bo, on the other hand, um, as uh we were talking about earlier, he does actually have a lot of emotional intelligence, and he. Uh, I don't think he necessarily picks up on a lot of um, what Glimmer is dishing out. Um, I think that almost certainly, like, he gets, like, an amount of it, especially, like, in that conversation he has where he's like, hey, listen, this isn't cool. You can't expect me to apologize to you for not doing anything wrong um, just because you're having a hard time, you know? Like, I feel like there, there are implications that, like, he kind of understands what's going on a little bit here, even if he's not really in a position right now to like talk about it with her yeah for sure i think i mean looking at their relationship over the course of the show i mean it it does get a little rocky in places i mean of course uh uh, the end of season four and sort of early season five where they have to get over the biggest hurdle where she almost blows up the planet oh yeah for reasons yeah you can see where like almost ending the entire world could put a strain on a interpersonal relationship a little bit. Yeah. But I think at that point, both of them were at a place where they were able to get past that. Like glimmer, especially had grown so much to that point where she was able to sort of be ready to sort of make up for that and, and engage with that in a way that I don't think season one glimmer or any other season of glimmer really would have been able to. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a very good point. And, uh, you know, their their romance is less important, obviously, but I don't think it's any less interesting or, or, or uh, cool for those characters to have. And if we want to go even one step down further, we can talk about Seahawk and Mermista in this episode. That's true. And I, I, feel, like, I feel like Seahawk and Mermista also have, like, their own really fun kind of situation going on. Like, I, I love them a lot. Like, I... I don't know. I've I've gone back and forth on a few things with the show, right? Like, uh, I wasn't a giant fan of the intro necessarily at first, but it grew on me. I wasn't a huge fan of Seahawk um, or Swiftwind at first, to be honest. They also grew on me. And the Seahawk-Mermista dynamic also didn't like it that much at first. But, like, once you kind of have the whole show under your belt and you can kind of look at it in that kind of a sense um it's really fun like i think i think it's really funny like how on again off again they already are even in season one even in basically their second appearance they're just like remista is not willing to admit her feelings but like she she wears them on her sleeve she just she won't say them out loud and Seahawk is completely like self-confident. He he knows for a fact that Remista cares about him, and he has no doubts in his mind. Like, and I think that's just a really fun like character dynamic to have between two people. Just like somebody who is not at all willing to admit their emotions um, out loud, but like you know their their partner is very much like uh unfazed by it like just he just rolls with it he uh he doesn't he doesn't take it in any way other than just her um being being remista i think a lot about 
the um, the boys' night episode where she she comes out to to rescue him, and they have that all that whole song that they sing together. Oh, it's really good. Remista getting her own sea shanty is great. That that bit that that bit was really good. I loved. I love their number together, and I loved um, I loved how they just used the TF2 achievement sound effect at the beginning of her uh, of her musical number. It's did they? Is that literally what? They, it... Literally, it is the TF2 like achievement guitar riff. Like, I think I think literally, literally. I when we get to that episode, I will bring it up and I will put it in the episode so people can hear it because it's really funny. But yeah. <laughs> Who does who does Mr. Maine do you think? Ah, uh, that's a great question. Scout. Mm, I think she I think he's too annoying. Yeah, you know. Hmm. I think she mains sniper. You know what? That's a good choice. Yeah, I could see that. No, Seahawk. Seahawk is probably scout. Seahawk mains scout. You, he wants to be in the action. He wants to be taking all the credit. That's true. Um, and that's you know it, they just have a they just have a great dynamic that evolves over time, and and it culminates in that scene in uh, Perils of Peekaboo, where she just finally admits I set a boat on fire just to know what it felt like. Yeah, that was like that being like the conclusion of their romantic arc. Like when they, it's so perfect. Like it, it's it's really really good. Like you know. I'm not like a, I'm not exactly a connoisseur of of het romance here, you know. Like I d- d- well, here, hang on. Let's 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 not. Let's, all right, listen. All right. So here's the thing. I, I I can get into some of them. Here's the thing about MF ships. All right. So there are MF ships that have straight energy, and those are bad. Those those are just rancid. We don't talk about those. We don't talk about those. MF ships that have bi energy, they're different. That's true. That's a really good point. And that's all of them in this show, without fail. Yeah, you know what? You know what? That's very true. Um, in other other famous examples, I would say uh, Hawkeye and Roy Mustang, honestly. Yeah. Like, they're dynamic. Yeah, you know. Basically, any of the, anyone that's good, it has that vibe. Anyone that's bad, it has straight vibes. And we don't we don't mess with that around here. That's true. You know what? That's that's very true. I, I, I agree with that 100%. Cora and Mako, terrible vibes. Um, Ugh, rancid. Rancid vibes on that one. Simply untenable. Yeah, I think, you know, this This is a very relationship-focused episode. And uh, from what I remember, the next episode is really action-packed. It's very much, you know, the rescue mission. But I remember there being a lot of good moments in that one. Yeah. Poor, poor Mermista in that episode, though, by the way. Oh, she goes through. Uh, she gets the... Listen, if I was Mermista, I would literally never let them hear the fucking end of that one. Like... I mean, she doesn't, really. That's true, she doesn't. It's like, listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna send the poor girl through the sewers, you've you've given her free reign to, to, to get you for the rest of time, essentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a free trump card for her. She can play whenever she wants. Like, you sent me through the sewers. I don't know, it's like, ugh. She has a rough time of it in that episode. She really does. She really does. I I'm glad they 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 give her a little more appreciation later in the show because that episode's rough for for poor Mista. It's, it's rough for Entrapta too a little bit, but uh, we'll get to that. 
Ah, she comes out fine. I mean, it's easy, you know. It's we'll get there. Man, a lot, a lot actually happens on that episode. You're right. Yeah, it's like it, it sets up. I feel like that episode actually sets up like all of season two. Like that's the setup for season two, essentially. By the way, I love the the brief interaction that Catcher and Entrapta have in this episode. It's great. Yeah, just <laughs> that that was really good as a setup. Entrapta calls her her lab assistant and all that. It's uh, it's a, it's a it's a neat little setup for. Entrapta's arc with the Horde. Yeah, foreshadowing, one could say. I don't know what that is. Yeah, is it some it's kind a of literary weird, device, some kind of theme? Weird what is concept. This eighth grade? Themes? Is this a book report? I don't know what a theme is. The only, th- the only themes I care about are the kind that are in parks. Well, like Mickey, Mickey'd Mouse? I guess Mickey'd Mouse. I don't actually like theme parks. That joke kind of fell apart on me a little bit. It really did. <laughs> Um, but hopefully the next episode won't fall apart on us, um, because we'll be talking about, uh, season one, episode nine, No Princess Left Behind, which I think you will find a princess is left behind. I don't know why that's rhyming. I don't know what's going on anymore. Something's happening. Uh, Something's happening in this episode. I feel like I've been hexed by a wizard. I should probably get out of here and see if I can undo that. Yeah. This is why you can't trust wizards. I don't, I don't trust wizards and that's why they hate me. But regardless, I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I have been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcastbondos.